Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hello and welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what's making news this week. Oscar Piastri is officially a Formula One podium finisher. The lad from Melbourne scored a fine third place at the Japanese Grand Prix for McLaren. We're also going to see two Aussies on the Formula One grid next year, with Piastri's McLaren future locked in with a new deal, and Alpha Tauri confirming that Daniel Ricciardo will partner Yuki Tsunoda. That, unfortunately, means Liam Lawson is likely to end up on the sidelines next season. Well, we flagged it last week and now it is official. Tim Edwards is on the move from Tickford Racing at the end of this season after nearly two decades at the famous Ford squad. The first piece of the 2024 Supercars calendar is locked in with the Taupo Super Sprint to take place on April 19 to 21. $5 million of federal NZ funding over the next three years was also announced. Meanwhile, the New South Wales government has committed to a one-year deal for the Newcastle 500, which leaves the fate of the event for next year in the hands of the Newcastle City Council. The Ford Mustangs will soon be fitted with lighter door panels to aid centre of gravity as work on parity continues. At the same time, Supercars has this week been testing solutions to the wheel nut issue that led to Garth Tander's crash during the Sandown 500, and there is hope that something can be implemented for the Bathurst 1000. The covers have come off a very yellow-looking Dick Johnson Racing Mustang that Simona Di Silvestro and Kai Allen will campaign at the Bathurst 1000. Shane Van Gisbergen and Glenn Weston finished second in the Daybreaker Rally in New Zealand behind Hayden Patton and John Kennard. And Nick Perkett has signed five-time Australian karting champion Brad Jenner to spearhead his new Fernando Alonso kart team. Join me this week to discuss all that and more as a teammate whose mouth was watering with all those teammate-on-teammate battles in Japan on Sunday, Stefan Bartholomew. Stefan, I didn't even know where to go for like a teammate gag this week after it was just cars that looked the same, fighting for position and running each other off the road over and over at Suzuka. Hello, Andrew. It was certainly a fun weekend of teammate battles. What we had, McLaren and Mercedes, mm-hmm. both with some awkward moments and then, yeah, Alpine just had a massive hold my beer moment at the end <laughs> yeah. when they reordered their cars right at the death. So, yeah, there was just so much team radio to enjoy. And that's not even going into, uh, you know, Fernando saying that his team had thrown him to the Lions. That was another highlight. There was uh, there was also Yuki and Liam just duking it out like that yes. spot of that team was still up for grabs next season, even though that announced that Liam wasn't getting it like uh, – he was. They were still really going at it at the start of that race. It was all. Uh, it was all very enjoyable. And I think we should uh, stick with chatting a bit of F one this week because an Aussie scoring his first proper podium is big news. 
Oscar Piastri is, of course, the Aussie in question, and he put in a fine drive to third place at Suzuka. His qualifying effort was particularly impressive as he scored a front row start for the race. He then didn't quite have the pace of teammate Lando Norris in the race itself, but was still hugely impressive to score that third place. Uh, his move on George Russell around the outside in the turn one, that was particularly impressive. That was an absolute beauty, uh, that one. Stefan, it just seems remarkable that this is the kid's rookie season. Like He looks like someone that's been in F1 for years, and I feel like we're really seeing what why he did end up in that contract dispute with two teams desperately fighting over him. Yeah, it's really turning into a dream debut season for him. Like clearly there is still a bit for him to learn and Suzuka was one of those races where the drivers had to really manage the tyres and as you say, he ended up a long way off Lando at the end, but he was pretty open about that after the race, wasn't he? I mm. mean, he doesn't appear to be the type to be getting ahead of himself with the hype of a podium and, and a new contract and all these things. Like, he know he has to keep getting better, and, and there's some things like the tyre deck where he'll just learn over time to, to manage that. So I think the miracle really is that he's got a car that's quick enough to show his talent at the front considering how the season started for those guys. I know. It seems like such a distant memory that that McLaren was just a complete dog of a car you know that turnaround is incredible we just don't see a swing quite that big in f1 these days you know it's it's little wonder that that oscar has pounced on a new deal with mclaren that runs until the end of 2026 because it seems like a pretty good place to be yeah it was interesting to see that that deal come out and you know oscar is such hot property at the moment it just must be so hard for drivers and their management to know what to do when the team performance can fluctuate so much like within a season forget about looking down the road towards 2026 yeah. like we can just only hope that mclaren can keep this going and yeah they've got the drivers to do it i mean lando signed through the end of 2025 and oscar now through 26 they've uh, yeah certainly got uh, two pretty good blokes behind the wheel Another good news, we know that there will be those two Aussies on the F1 grid next year, uh, given that AlphaTauri has confirmed that its lineup will be Yuki Tsunoda and Daniel Ricciardo for 2024. That's great news for our Dan. Not amazing for Liam Lawson, who is likely to end up back in a reserve role despite doing such a fantastic job at 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 the moment. Um, he really looks like the real deal as well. Obviously, there's a genuine benefit to the Honda partnership by having Tsunoda in the car, because otherwise I feel the smart play would be Liam and Dan at AlphaTauri next year to give Liam some guidance and then send him off to RBR in place of Perez in 2025. As much as we would love to see Dan back in the main team, Liam is realistically a much more future-looking choice if they do want to make a change in that main squad uh, alongside Max Verstappen. So politics aside, that's how I'd do it. But the way you know it will play out means there will be some interesting decisions to be made for 2025 for that Red Bull sort of family and Red Bull pool of drivers. What do you reckon, Stefan? Yeah, Red Bull sure seems to know how to get itself in a, in a big tangle when it comes to all these driver yeah. deals. And there are multiple factors, as you suggest there, and clearly with Yuki and Honda, but it does seem odd that they've pulled the trigger on it this early. Yeah. You know, considering all those factors of Liam's performances and how little we've seen actually from Daniel with this return. And yes, they wanted to get the Yuki news out during the Japanese Grand Prix weekend. And Maybe as well, they want to dial the pressure off Ricardo a bit for when he does come back. But yeah, it certainly feels like they could have benefited from a bigger sample size of races before committing to this for next year. And I just hope that Red Bull can somehow cut a deal for Liam now to go to Williams next year because Logan Sargent seems to be giving uh, sort of Williams every excuse to, to move him on with the amount yeah. of incidents he's having. 
Yeah, Christian Horner sort of indicated that he's not sure Williams will want someone for a year, but surely for that team, you look at a talent like that and go, well, let's just have them for a year would be fantastic. So, yeah, look, I agree. I think that, that Red Bull's kind of the cleanest way to do it would be sort of uh, as I'd suggested with Dan and Liam there next year, but there's obviously some politics uh, involved in that. So it'll be interesting to see how... 25 plays out there. Uh, let's move on to some supercars. And the big news since we last spoke is that Tim Edwards will depart Tickford Racing at the end of this season. Now, we spoke about this briefly last week because all suggestions, despite Tim's protest, were that this was going to happen. Another media outlet took the bait in a very embarrassing way, but we'll get onto that in a second. Uh, Stefan, neither of us are surprised by this. We both uh, had great intel that it was in the works. Uh, you wrote a fantastic analysis last week on Tim's tenure at Tickford, uh, which I recommend everyone reads over at V8 Sleuth if they haven't already. Would you say this is the right move for both team and team boss after such a long stint? Well, only time is going to answer that really and we don't know for sure where Tim is headed next and we don't know how seriously Tickford is really searching for a replacement so there is still a bit to play out but I think what is clear is that if they want to get a different result to what they've been getting which is basically a couple of wins per season for Mm. several years now they needed to make some changes and they've put a lot of analysis around that internally and it's resulted in not only Tim leaving but going from four cars back to two as well. And I think the arguments around the two-car thing are very strong because four cars is immensely difficult to manage and this will focus their resources down on two. And naturally, when you're doing that sort of restructure, it's the perfect time to change the management as well and really refresh the whole place. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's... um the other thing is when you have someone there for so long, it does create that kind of bottleneck as well, you know, in terms of particularly maybe less than the CEO, but more in that sort of team leadership role and that mm. team principal role, you know, and I think that's, there has been a lot of talk about the fact that there's already a committee of people working on who's going to come in and replace him as CEO. And again, they're, they're, they're going to need a CEO, but I, I do wonder if we're going to sort of see some sort of internal promotion into the team principal role, a bit like, you know, DJR has a different CEO to to the team principal and, and that sort of stuff. So I think we could um, we could see potentially a little bit of that because otherwise, you know, after 20 years, it sort of becomes a staffing issue where good staff go, well, I can't really, there's nowhere really for me to go here um, because nothing's ever really going to change. So it, it, maybe, mm. a, you know, a bit of movement can sort of help uh, put that team in a position to go out and make better hires because people will sort of see the pathway and, and the ladder of where they can go. Um, now, Stefan, we aren't ones to tear people down usually. That's not our style, at least not on the podcast. Um, but I do think we need to address how this Tim Edwards story rolled out and how poorly it was handled by some others in our industry. Um, now, I did give the guys at Auto Action a bit of a whack on Twitter last Wednesday when the Edwards news was made official because their print edition had a story saying he was definitely staying. My issue with that wasn't that the story was wrong, that is, uh, that that stuff happens, and particularly, you know, given Tim was denying it so furiously, it's an easy trap to fall into, I guess. But the first three parts of the story were attacking other outlets for reporting it in the first place and dismiss, uh, dismissing those stories as fiction, and it was just grub work and deserved to blow back on them as spectacularly as it did. You know, run a story saying Tim is denying reports if that's the quotes that you're getting. But if you attack the reports, you run the risk of looking so stupid. And that's exactly what happened. I know this is a motorsport podcast, not a journalism podcast, so I won't go on about it forever. But if a reliable journalist like myself reports something, going on the counterattack so fiercely, despite what Tim might tell you, 
It's just very, very silly. And there was also no quotes from Tim in their story. So when the subject, you know, refuses to actually go on the record and say the thing that you're about to publish, that's a massive red flag that a good journalist won't will definitely at least make note of and think about how they're going to angle the story. You know, there was just yeah, that's it, it was it was just really silly work. At the same time, I don't think Tim handled himself, you know, with the whole thing very well either. Yeah, it's been a wild ride since the moment you broke the story on the Sunday there at uh, at Sandown and clearly a few parties that you mentioned could have handled it a fair bit better. I think, unfortunately, Tim lowered his colours a bit with that sweary spray that he'd given Speed Cafe, which actually happened on the Friday but wasn't published until after your story. We both full well know that the news game is full of robust conversations, but there's no escaping the fact that that was a terrible look, regardless of whether the news ended up actually being true or not. And yeah, I don't know. The whole thing had been kept within the four walls at Tickford for so long. So the fact that it leaked out before an announcement maybe contributed to the frustration there. But it is a shame that the attitude taken there moved the narrative away from talking about the immense contribution Tim's made to that team and the sport and, and it sort of like put it down a much more negative path. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, there's a couple of there's a couple of issues with the response that he did give Speak Cafe, and one that he obviously wasn't being truthful with what he said. But secondly, you can also, even if you're going to tell someone a porky pie, you can uh, you can do it without actually just abusing the uh, the heck out of him as well. So, yep, very odd one. Uh, let's have a bit of a chat about the supercars calendar now, Stefan, because we do have a date for one of the events. Taupo will host the return to New Zealand on April 19 to 21. So what else do we know about the calendar? The current chat I'm hearing is that we're still on for 13 rounds, which is basically what we had this year plus that Taupo event. Newcastle is still likely to go ahead, I reckon. There was an announcement about a one-year state government deal for that today with talks ongoing for another five-year deal after that. It is, however, still waiting for council approval in Newcastle to actually definitively be on for next year. The Australian GP will be on, although it could be a much different format if supercars are shunted out of its own pit lane, as are the indications. Uh, you'd reckon Taupo will be next as it slots into the spot where Perth was this year. From what I understand, Perth would move into the Tassie spot and Tassie will probably shift down to the post-Darwin-Townsville mix with your SMPs and the Bens and that sort of stuff. Uh, then you've got Sandown, Bathurst, Gold Coast, Adelaide to take us to the finish line. Stefan, how does that all sound to you? Does that fit in with what you're hearing around the traps? Yeah, there's obviously a bit of moving around in all that, but I think the overall theme is for all the talk, especially of expansion, there's not really going to be that much change of significance outside of the return to New Zealand, which is obviously a great story. The Newcastle situation is, is ongoing, as, as you detail. That's still a big talking point, and it'll be interesting to see if they can wrap all that up and actually have a calendar ready for release at Bathurst. Well, to have a little chat about the calendar and Newcastle and the upcoming Bathurst 1000, I grabbed Supercars comms boss Paul Glover for a chat. Uh, Paul Glover, where are you right now, and what are you doing with the Peter Brock Trophy? Oh, hello, Andrew. It's lovely to be here. Uh, I am in Wollongong right now, so we've just wrapped up the Wollongong leg of the national slash international um, first ever tour of the Peter Brock Trophy to all parts of Australia. And we've had the road trip going since Sandown. We went to Albury and Wagga last week. We are in Canberra yesterday. We're getting crowds everywhere we go. And today we had a huge crowd here in Wollongong where Cam Hill 
arrived via a Navy helicopter and delivered the trophy in style. So um, it's been a lot of fun and still a couple of stops to go. And we'll wrap up next week when Shane and Garth officially deliver the trophy in Bathurst. That is pretty cool. Like getting access to this thing, I know it's kind of, you know, it's obviously all about the 60th running of the Bathurst 1000 stuff, but actually getting access to that trophy, it's not, it's no mean feat, right? Like it actually means something. I mean, this, it's funny talking to people everywhere that we've stopped. You know, there, there's some kind of spiritual connection to Bathurst, as we all know, with Australian motorsport. But the trophy itself, and I think what Peter Brock meant to Australian motorsport, you may underrate it because these are areas that we're going to that we don't race in. Yeah. Um, and people know everything about Brocky. They know everything about the trophy. They know how important it is to the drivers. And the drivers seem to be getting quite emotional when they talk about the trophy themselves. So it's been a good learning curve, to be honest, to just see you know, these areas that aren't I guess, typical supercars regions for us to race in, getting behind what we're doing in the 60th anniversary, which we all know is going to be one of the most open races I think we've ever gone into at Bathurst. Um, but to win that Peter Brock trophy means so much, not just to the drivers, but to the fans. So it's pretty cool. What I've found interesting, sort of seeing the trophy out and about a fair bit this season, you know, at events, is that when drivers are sort of doing appearances stuff, with a lot of them don't want to touch it. Like they don't yeah. feel right about touching the trophy unless they've actually won it. And that was an incredible um, challenge we had with Cam Hill having to put it in a helicopter. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> did he wear gloves or something? What did he do? In the end, he got the Navy boys to take it on and take it off. Yeah, um, so, that's amazing. But, I mean, there is a superstition. As I said, there's, there's some kind of spiritual connection yeah. between this trophy and motorsport here in Australia, all the drivers, all the teams. And, you know, as some of the younger ones say, they, they say, you know, I, I don't know why, but I just can't touch it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's fascinating. It's you know it's incredible, and it's it's just all part of what makes Bathurst Bathurst. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, speaking of regional New South Wales, a bit of news around about uh, the future of Newcastle this morning. Uh, good news for you guys. You know, uh, New South Wales government coming out and saying we want this race for another year, and we want to talk about a longer deal after that. Still no word from the council. Where's it all sort of sitting for you guys? First of all, incredible segue there. Thank you. <laughs> going from regional <laughs> regional tours of New South Wales with a trophy. Just trying to soften to the blow. What for the you. hell's going on with the calendar? Um, no, mate. I guess as you know, as we've said, and you know, as everyone said, you know, this is an event that is one of our marquee events. We we want to see it to continue long term. Um, the government's made it pretty clear with their statement today what their intention is, and you know, I guess if you talk about budget cycles and what they've in, you know, said they've inherited, um, they want a long term deal. You know, we're on board, obviously. We love Newcastle. It's one of our favourite events. And um, there's there's discussions that just continue. And, you know, we want to find what's favourable for everybody involved. So um, it, it is a process that takes time, like all things political. And, you know, I think we'll come to something that works for everyone um, at some point in the coming weeks. But, yeah, it is obviously something that we're dealing with and a lot of meetings going on at the moment. But I think everyone's working together well. And we'll see what happens for the long-term future of Newcastle very soon. Bathurst is traditionally sort of the time of year where we expect to see a calendar. I'm guessing the Newcastle thing is probably a bit of a hold-up uh, at the moment. Is there any chance we'll see a calendar by Bathurst or are we looking a bit after that, do you think? Yeah, well, I guess we'll have to wait and see. There's, <laughs> there's plenty going on with the calendar. There's a lot that's locked in already. Um, as many reports you know, state, it's pretty easy to kind of look at what the back end of the year looks like every year. Um, so most of the events are locked and loaded. And yes, there is probably an asterisk today um, as we speak around, you know, the Newcastle date and the Newcastle event itself. Um, but most of it, you know, we, we're confident, you know, in announcing. And as you said, that a lot can happen in 10 days. So we'll see what comes when we come around to Bathurst. And 
if it's not ready, we'll clearly communicate why. Um, and I think every fan out there who's been reading reports today understands the situation in Newcastle, which is, you know, respectful. And there's no one, you know, no one's working against each other to, to hold up a calendar. But Supercars wants to get a calendar out as soon as they can so fans can plan their year. And most of it's locked and loaded and there's some exciting events in there. And, um, yeah, we'll see what 2024 brings very, very soon. Well, Stefan, it's time to play some What Caught My Eye on My105.com. Now, when I think rally cars, I think Ford Escorts and Subaru WRXs and Lancer Evos and Toyota Corollas and these days Skoda Fabias. But it wasn't until my most recent trip to My105 that the concept of a Mazda MX-5 rally car was brought to my attention. Up for grabs in New South Wales right now is a hardtop 94 MX-5 in full rally trim, lightly worked 1800cc motor, hydraulic handbrake, TerraTrip, Intercom, Light Pod, the works. Uh, those MX-5s are a great little car, and I reckon hooning through the bushing one would be a blast. Uh, 23K as well, so definitely on the more affordable side of a lot of the window shopping that we do. So that'll be for me this week. Stefan, what caught your eye on my105.com? Well, that does sound like a lot of fun, but I've got some real Bathurst fever at the moment, so I'm nope. going for broke here on this one and picking the VN Commodore race by Peter Brock in 1991. It certainly wasn't his most successful car, but his shootout lap from that year, if you remember it, is just one of the most iconic laps ever. Yeah. I just need to find the 790 grand asking price and uh, I'll be away. I reckon I'm a lot closer to my 23K for my <laughs> Mazda, but uh, all the best to you. Uh, we'll see how that goes. All right, let's take a look at what happened around the world over the weekend. Max Verstappen dominated the Japanese Grand Prix, which sealed the 2023 Constructors World Championship for Red Bull Racing, despite Sergio Perez not making the finish of the race. As we covered off earlier, Piastri finished third behind Norris, while Liam Lawson came home 11th. Uh, Marco Vizzecchi won the inaugural Indian MotoGP race, while Francesco Bagnaia crashed out. That means Jorge Martin, who finished second, is now just 13 points behind in the title fight. Fabio Quartararo finished third, while Jack Miller was 14th on the KTM, and William Byron won the NASCAR Cup Series race at Texas Motor Speedway. That puts him into the semi-final round of the playoffs. Uh, Kyle Busch, Ryan Blaney, Tyler Reddick, and Bubba Wallace are on the elimination bubble at the moment. Okay, Castro mailbag time. Uh, Jack Palmer asks, if there's too much of a jump in power and speed from the Toyota 86 Series to V8 Touring Cars... Uh, and says there seems to be a Mustang-shaped hole in the market. I assume he's talking about the uh, one or the one-make Mustang Cup that could potentially come down to Australia based on these uh, on these spec race cars that Ford is building with the latest generation Mustang. As we covered a few weeks ago, there is certainly a sense from you know Ford's point of view that it could be a neat little fit as a stepping stone between your feeder category and. Uh, whether you're jumping into Super 3 or V8 Touring Cars or Super 2 or whatever. At the same time, I guess it's kind of, you know, the one thing that I've observed across my career is that the kids that are really good, it doesn't really matter. Like they can jump straight out of go-karts into a into a touring car. You know, we saw, you know, Brock Feeney do it from Excels, jump straight into a touring car and was sort of got his head around it pretty quickly. Like if you're a good race car driver, um, they're kind of – you know, big lazy cars. Yes, they've got a lot of uh, a lot of grunt, but you're sort of managing that rear tire most of the time anyway. Guys tend to just get their pathway at the moment. I think what we're lacking in the pathway is clarity. Like it's just so complicated. Like you used to race go karts, and then you went straight to Formula Ford, 
And then if you were good enough, you actually just went straight to supercars and usually to the main game. Like that was kind of the pathway. Like it was just so clear what you did. And there were other categories out there, but just the fastest way to get to where you wanted to go was just always so clear. And now it's really not. People have gone, oh, we can make money by running these categories and it's all ended up a bit all over the place. As much as I hate the fact that supercars dictates that you have to do Super 2 to get into supercars, at least it kind of, it offers some sort of certainty in terms of how you have to go about your junior development if you want to get to where you want to go. But, you know, I still hate the rule, but that's the one very small benefit to it because otherwise it's just a bit of a mess out there. Yeah, I guess that's my primary uh, feeling on this is that we just don't need another category. And very much like you say, the the really good young kids seem to be able to adapt pretty well and, and quite a few of them now have come out of 86s and either gone straight into a V8 touring car slash Super 3 kind of environment like your Brock Feeney or, or Kai Allen. Um, and others, say Ryan Wood, has has done a year in Porsches and then gone straight into Super 2 and and really uh, really excelled from there. So, yeah, there's, there's a few ways of doing it, but... There's, there are other categories too. If, if an individual feels that they need an intermediate step, there's, there's Trans Am out there that probably feels, yeah. feels that role as well. So, um, yeah, I just don't know if, if another category in the marketplace is needed. What's really needed is to make the existing categories more affordable and having more competitors in them is, uh, is probably a better thing than having a lot of categories with competitors spread throughout them. Absolutely. Alrighty, let's hand out some Castrol Stars of the Week. Who gets your Castrol Star this week, Stefan? I'm giving my Star of the Week to Walkinshaw Andretti United, who I think have pulled off a genius move in the lead-up to their first Bathurst as a Ford team. So they've teamed up with Bathurst's own Reckless Brewing to produce a limited edition WAU lager in time for the great race. And as you know, beer is the one common ground between Ford and GM fans at Bathurst. Mm. So I just reckon yep. this is the perfect way to bridge that divide. I can I can assure you that the very first thing I did when I saw that announcement was get straight <laughs> on the text to AJ Wiles uh, at Walkinshaw there saying, Stick a carton aside for me. And uh, he didn't respond as positively as I was hoping. So um, this is just another little nudge, AJ. Make sure there's one of those cases heading my way. Um, it's and almost it, like you weren't the only person to send that message to him. Well, I'm sure I definitely wasn't. But anyway, it's <laughs> uh, it's uh, and, and maybe this will sweeten the deal because I'm going with a WAU flavour for my Castrol star this week as well. My Castrol star is going to Matt Hillier. Uh, he's part of the WAU Foundation and he actually works at the team um, alongside his own racing commitments. Uh, and on the weekend, he scored three wins from three races at the, at the penultimate round of the Australian Formula Ford Series at Phillip Island to clinch the title. Um, he joins a very illustrious list of Aussie Formula Ford champions, and he really looks like a promising talent worth keeping an eye on. I know we said that it's kind of a, a messy sort of junior uh, pathway now, but, you know, if you're quick in Formula Ford, you're generally pretty good, and he's uh, he's been pretty quick in the Toyota 86 as well. So reckon he's a bloke worth keeping an eye on. Well, that's it for this week. Remember to like, subscribe, and review our work wherever you listen to your podcast, and we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport News. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. 
If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.